My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God and we are just looking at uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter uh, 17 and uh, we're picking up today from verse 14. We're going to look at verse 14 through to the end of this chapter and another amazing understanding of who Jesus is uh, in this particular passage that we're about to look at. Remember, this is just after the Mount of Transfiguration, an amazing event. And uh, we come uh, down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus has just said to the disciples that were with him, Peter, James and John, don't tell anybody what happened. And they get down to the bottom of the mountain and this is what happens. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, Lord, Have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now, Matthew chapter 17, verse 18, tells us, so in other words, a few verses down from here, tells us that this was demonic in nature. This boy had a demon. Uh, Now, this is not the case with everybody who suffer, suffers from epilepsy, okay? Either then or today. The, the narrative in Mark chapter 9 of this story tells us that the boy was actually also made deaf and uh, dumb. He couldn't speak by this particular demon. So this man says, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't fix him. <laughs> What's interesting to note is sometimes followers of Jesus, including the disciples and us, we fail, but Jesus never does. Uh, This man had a lot of wisdom for going straight to Jesus when his followers failed. Uh, Now, it's not like the disciples didn't know how to to cast out demons. Previously, they'd done it in Luke chapter 10, but here they couldn't do it. Why? Because there is a rank of demonic powers. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that that there are levels, there are hierarchies. And evidently some demons are stronger, they're more stubborn, more resistant than others. And the disciples have been given authority to cast out demons in Matthew chapter 10, but apparently this demon was more difficult than most. And their failure actually ended up being good for them because it actually ended up being something that was used to teach them. David Guzik said this, it taught them to not get into a rut of mechanical ministry, It taught them the great superiority of Jesus. It taught them to wish for the presence of Jesus. And it taught them to come to Jesus with their problems. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, so why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. 
However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There is a sense that Jesus was frustrated with his disciples here because his season of ministry before the cross is now coming to an end. And, and maybe he felt frustration with the disciples that they didn't have more faith. And he, he's like, this is all going to end soon and I need these guys to get it. So he rebukes the demon and the demon comes out. Jesus delivers this demon-possessed boy instantly. What was too hard for the disciples was not too hard for Jesus. And Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. He laid the inability of the disciples to cast this demon out at the feet of their unbelief. To be successful in a battle against demons, there must be trust in the Lord God who actually has complete authority over demons. No point blaming the son or or the father for the son having that. or the, or the fact that the, the, the disciples couldn't cast him out wasn't the father-son father, uh, problem. The fault lay in the disciples in their unbelief. Jesus says, if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, the faith that we must have has more to do with what kind of faith we have rather than how much of it we have. Because a small amount of faith that's as small as a mustard seed can accomplish great things if that small amount of faith is placed in the great and mighty power of God. See, Spurgeon said this, little faith can accomplish great things, but great faith can accomplish even greater things. What matters most is what our faith is in, the object of our faith. The eye cannot see itself. Did you ever see your own eye? In a mirror you may have done so, but that was only a reflection of it. And you may, in like manner, see the evidence of your faith, but you cannot look at the faith itself. Faith looks away to itself, to the object of faith, even to Christ. So Jesus says, you'll say to this mountain, move, and it'll move. Jesus here in effect calls faith, you know, the faith that can move mountains. It's a phrase that's current in Jewish schools right now and taught to rabbis as Jesus, that the faith that is uh, the uprooter of mountains. Then Jesus says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. We show our faith and reliance in God through prayer and fasting. It displays an occupation and dependence upon Jesus Christ. Great prayer and fasting displays an earnestness before God that brings an answer to prayer. Sometimes I think we pray dispassionately about things, almost asking God to care more about something than we care for it. Sometimes we don't even care at all particularly when it doesn't affect us. Think about how many times somebody's asked you to pray for something that's life-threatening, but it's not you. You're not praying for your own life. You're just praying for somebody else's. And then we ask God, God, I want you to care and heal that person, even though I don't really. I mean, I'm praying because they asked me to, but it doesn't change my life if they're not healed or not. You see, this is, this is what we, we need to have a level of prayer, of understanding, of empathy, We need to have an understanding. Sometimes you need to fast for things maybe that you would never normally fast for. Maybe you're fasting because somebody else asked you to pray for something else. Why not skip a meal? Just spend an hour praying for that person. Don't eat that day. You don't have to fast for seven days on water only. What about if you just skip lunch and use your lunch hour to go and pray for people? Prayer and fasting. Spurgeon. He that would overcome the devil in certain instances must first overcome heaven by prayer and conquer himself by self-denial and fasting. Okay, let's move on to verse 
22. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he'll be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Uh, Jesus is making frequent reminders to them. I'm going to die. I'm going to be dead for three days. Then I'm going to rise again. He didn't just say it once. Disciples, just not, not sharp. They were forgotten. These words were forgotten. Jesus very rarely, interestingly enough, very rarely told his disciples about his coming death without telling them about his coming resurrection. And we know that they didn't listen to him because they got exceedingly sorrowful. Why would they get exceedingly sorrowful? The prophet Isaiah said this would happen. Jesus said, I'm now going to do it. Said it multiple times, which means that they knew what would happen. They get sorrowful. Verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? I love this story, by the way. And he said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him and saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. There's a lot in this. The temple tax was a normal tax or a fee that was applied to every Jewish man. Faithful Jewish men paid it as an obligation. Some people sought to get out of it. They didn't want the responsibility, so they looked for ways of not paying. Now, RT France actually has something that's very interesting to note about this. The temple tax was a matter of controversy. The Sadducees disapproved of the tax, and the men of Qumran paid it only once in their lifetime. So this was not a simple matter, paying the temple tax. Uh, some people only had to pay it if they were visiting the temple in their town. If a guest was visiting, they didn't have to pay it. So Jesus says to Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter gives a natural quick answer. Then Jesus says, well, I'm not liable to pay this tax because the father does not require of his own son. I'm going into my father's house. I don't have to pay to go in my father's house. Interestingly enough, also, uh, rabbis were exempt from paying this tax. So were the priests from Jerusalem. Uh, so here, all of a sudden, you've got Jesus wanting to claim a similar exception. But then he does something really remarkable in the next verse, verse 27. Nevertheless, Jesus says, lest we offend them, Peter, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you've opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take that, give it to them for me and for you. Jesus was not obligated to pay the temple tax under the principle that he just discussed with Peter, that as a son and a servant, he didn't have to pay it. But he also recognized the importance of not creating a needless controversy. So he was willing to pay the tax so that he didn't offend those who would ask him whether he paid it or not. Now, the Greek word that's used here is the Greek word scandalizing. Now, 
William Barclay wrote this about that word. Therefore, Jesus is saying, we must pay so as to not set a bad example to others. We must not only do our duty, we must go beyond duty in order that we may show others what they ought to do. So then he says to Peter, you go cast a hook. Now, you have to understand, there's, there's a lot in this verse. Jesus is telling a professional fisherman, go and use a hook and a line. No professional fisherman uses a hook and a line. They use nets. Peter would have been like, don't ask me to use a hook and a line. That's embarrassing. I'm a fisherman. I use nets. And I, think, I can just imagine Peter walking down to the water and throwing the hook in and going, oh gosh, I hope nobody sees me throwing in a line like a little boy. Hoping that none of his fisherman mates would see him. And then we have the trust of Jesus that as Peter throws this hook in on a line, that he's going to pull up a fish and in that fish's mouth is going to be a coin that's the exact amount to pay the temple tax for Jesus and for Peter. What an amazing trust that Jesus had in the provision of God that Peter would go down, throw a hook in, and the fish that he would bring up would have the coin in it. Amazing. It's not every day that somebody catches a fish and it's got a coin in its mouth. But Jesus used God's provision to pay his taxes. Jesus could have done so many other things to pay that temple tax, but he came up with the most awesome miracle. If I'm going to have to pay it, even though I know I don't have to, so that we don't cause an offence, Peter, miracle. Spurgeon, thus the great son pays the tax levied to his father's house, but he exercises his royal prerogative in the act and takes the shekel out of the royal treasury. As man he pays, but first as God, he causes the fish to bring him the shekel in its mouth. Now, we don't know why Jesus didn't tell Peter to provide enough to pay for all the disciples or that the fish didn't have enough to pay for that or that Jesus knew that when he told Peter in the first place. But he did know that he needed to pay for him and for Peter, which I think is also a bit of a foreshadow of the work of the redemption for all men. Jesus paying the price for him and for Peter. Remember this, Peter. I'm paying the price for you today. I'm going to pay the price for you on the cross. Jesus didn't need to pay the price to enter the temple tax, but he paid it anyway. Jesus didn't need to pay the price dying on the cross, but he paid it anyway. And he paid, not just for him, but for Peter, and for you, and for me, and for everybody. What's my observation? Jesus continually showed us that he would always pay the price for you and for me. Yet so many of us have been slow to catch on. I've always loved this story. One of my stories that I love when I, when I go to Israel and I think about being on the Sea of Galilee, I think about this story. And I think about what that coin must have looked like as Peter pulled open the fish's mouth and there it was. Can you imagine the shock and awe and wonder and excitement and joy that came over Peter all at once? Just a go... I don't know what Peter would have said in his mind when he opened that fish's mouth. Like, how does he do it? 
He is the Messiah. And I think about all the things that Peter then had to wrestle with when he denied Christ, knowing that he was really the Messiah, because he'd seen all these things. He'd seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd seen the, 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 the coin in the fish's mouth. He'd walked on water. He knew that Jesus was paying the price for him. Let's never forget. Let's never deny. Let's always proclaim who Jesus is. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the example we have in Peter. Little faith who accomplished much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.